0: Welcome to the audio podcast for the main service of Northridge Church. Our hope is that this will be a tool that blesses and challenges you in your walk with Jesus. If you want to learn more about Northridge Church, you can visit us at nrchurch.ca or join us on Sunday mornings at 10am. Until we meet, be blessed and enjoy the word for
1: today. Good morning. Uh, How about if I start with, um, I don't know if it's an admonition or an encouragement let me phrase it in a positive way. Uh, actually, let me give you some backstory. Carolee and I had the privilege of going away on a kayaking trip. Uh, it was to celebrate Carolee's 50th birthday, and it was incredible. And what made it incredible is we had this guide who, A, was a really good cook, although he didn't cook any meat. So that was disappointing for me. Yeah, he was it was like a total vegetarian meal, but it was pretty spectacular. But he was also really good about encouraging us to be in the right place without sounding like a nag. So he basically, he was telling me what I was doing wrong without making me feel like a jerk or without making me feel like a dummy. And he was really good at it. So let me try that with you. Um, uh, I was I was told this week, we gather every Wednesday for pastor prayer. Uh, so that the local pastors get together and, uh, and we pray together. And one of the pastors, uh, he's actually just recently retired. He was visiting another church. Uh, and he said the hard part about this other church is that all of the regulars sat at the back And so he as a new person had to come all the way to the front to find a spot So I thought you know what that sounds familiar and uh, So I would encourage you if you're comfortable here um, I chew gum. I brush my teeth. I do what I can to make this front row experience very pleasant so try and fill those front rows a little bit more so that's my. That, I didn't do a very good job of making you not sound like jerks, did I? Okay, I, I love you, and I want more of you to be closer to me, and that's my little story. Um, thank you. There you go. I, I rephrased it. I saved it, Natasha says. Um, Alright, let me... I wasn't going to do the announcements first, but let me do the announcements real quick. Um, we have got two things to be thinking about. Uh, the first is our 15th anniversary coming up on September 10th. And we are so looking forward to this. We like to celebrate things, first of all. But uh, it's going to be an opportunity to gather with our full congregation, SNL, and the Spanish service. We're all going to be together. We're going to eat well. There will be a bouncy castle. So, yeah, th- with this, big stakes, right? So put that on the calendar, September 10th uh, at 10 o'clock room meeting then. A um, couple more things. If you missed it, our August newsletter went out last week and uh in it it's chock full of stuff and uh it's to me it's something you're going to want to be subscribed to if for no other reason then we have a gift for you in the september edition Uh, les warner has written a book that is going to be a companion piece to the sermon series we're going to launch into in september and that will be available as an ebook in our newsletter and so uh, i can't encourage you enough If you're not subscribed, get subscribed. We're pretty good about only using that email once a month for the e-newsletter. You're not going to get inundated with emails. Uh, In there, we're also going to do a good job, in in my opinion. Our plan is to do a good job of presenting a menu of ways that you can serve, which sounds very self-serving for us as a church, but you will never feel more connected and more plugged in to a church family until you begin finding your place to serve part of what i want to do this september is correct something else that has happened is we've got some people who overserve, and they are stretched into five six seven different ministries they're doing a bunch of different things and that's kind of a bit of our dna where from day one we have been uh, a doing church where we've been we've been very active in serving And so over the years, some people picked up ministry after ministry. They filled holes along the way. I would love to see September be a time not only of some people stepping into ministry, but of some people focusing on on certain ministries and actually shedding some other ministries. So there are going to be plenty of opportunities for you to serve, and you're going to learn more about that in our September newsletter. All right. Uh, This time, we're going to pray first for our kids and this offering we're about to receive. And then we'll move into a time of prayer for hopeful freedom. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the beautiful sunshine. And even though it's warm, uh, we're thankful that uh, we get to be together and sweat together. And Father, I pray that you bless this time, that you would anoint it. As we've already been praying in pre-service prayer, Lord, I pray that this this time would be consecrated, set aside for an encounter with you. And whether, the, whether you choose to use our, our coffee time as a time to encourage each other or, or through the worship or now as we transi- transition into the testimony and into the word, we pray that you would use what tools you have available to transform us, to cause us to leave differently than the way we came. And as our students move to their classroom, Lord, we pray blessings on them and as people who, who choose to give, give at this time, Lord, we pray blessings on them and on this offering that we're about to receive. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so, is it Route 57 that goes? Yes, right? Well done us. Oh, the middle schoolers, it's called. Thank you. See, I'm all up to date. The middle schoolers, you are dismissed. So That's grade 5 to 7, though, right? Grade 5 to 7, you are dismissed. Otherwise, uh, I think Ryan's in two places at once, aren't you, Ryan? Yeah, so, don't go too fast, because Ryan's still uh, passing the the, the baskets. Hey, that Ryan's a good example of somebody who's doing too many things right now, but I think he's covering for somebody. All right, if we can just transition to the next slide here. Today, we're going to be praying for Hope for Freedom Society. And if you're not a regular with us here, uh, we are a church that partners very intentionally. We've got um, two international partners in Costa Rica Kids and Emparo International, that's Costa Rica and, and Nicaragua. And we have two local ministries that we partner with in Celebrate Recovery and with Hope for Freedom Society. And Hope for Freedom Society has been uh, a group we've come alongside. Actually, yeah, we kind of came alongside them. They were already going strong probably about seven years ago. And uh, they have been a blessing to Northridge. And today as we pray, we want to bless them uh, by showering them with prayer. And so we want to pray over them. And what we'd like to do now is we'd like to activate you. In fact, again, as we were praying pre-service, I think it was Jana was saying, uh, praying that we would be uh, active in worship, that we wouldn't come to receive worship, to listen to some good songs, that we would be active worshipers, that we wouldn't miss an opportunity to sing praises to the King Kings. In the same way right now we have an opportunity to be active prayers and whether you pray silently in your chair by yourself or you bless us by standing and praying out loud so we can we can share together what you're praying uh, we're going to spend some time in prayer not a long time uh, when I feel like we've had enough opportunity to pray I'll close in prayer so let's pray together father I'm thankful for these prayers for provision, uh, providing care for your people. I think of Jake's prayer for his, for his family. Uh, I, I love hearing the the adoration and the exaltation, the, the proper appointment of place in our lives that you have in, in these prayers. Lord, the other prayer that was prayed was a prayer for provision for Hope for Freedom Society. And Lord, I, I don't know specifically what their needs are, but I know that Um, An organization like this uh, has needs when it comes to doing the things it's called to do. So, Father, I pray that uh, you would be their Jehovah-Jireh, that you would provide. That uh, they would lack for nothing so that they can continue to give the care that these people need. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. There we go. I lost. We prayed so long that my tablet went to sleep. There we go good praying you guys uh, we started this it it doesn't feel like very long ago three three months ago maybe and um, it's kind of become something that I like I I could only have hoped for is that we would have people activated in prayer and um, and this is you just blessed me so thank you Um, speaking of a blessing you're about to be blessed we have another story today again if you're not regularly here this this summer we've been teaching through uh, a series called stories And we've taken uh, a story from the Bible, and we've heard from somebody from our congregation, uh, either somebody or some people, uh, sharing their stories, the difference that Jesus has made in their lives. And today, we are very excited to hear from a very special lady, somebody who I know is very special to a lot of us, uh, and that is Jenna Upton. So please come on up, Jenna. Hello, Jenna. Um, so we have a kind of a little format where we ask three questions, and I've mentioned this to Jenna, where the first question is, what was your like, life like before Jesus? And then how did you meet Jesus? And how, is th- how have things gotten different? How, are, how is life after meeting Jesus different? So I'm going to wind you up and let you go, because I know you're good at telling your story. Uh, well, is this, is this working? I don't know. I don't
2: think it's is it working? working? Oh, now it there is. Okay, cool. <laughs> Um, yeah, I just wanted to give a forewarning. I'm good at rambling. So I, I don't know if that counts as good storytelling. But anyway, um, so before Jesus, it was very different. Um, I'll just give a brief kind of background of, of my, where I grew up and all that. Um, I grew up in Thunder Bay, Ontario, was born and raised there. And, um, I was adopted legally by my mom's parents, my grandma and grandpa. My mom just wasn't ready to have kids and um, she struggled with her own um, mental health and addictions. And so I lived with my grandparents and lived like a fairly normal life, I guess, um, until I was about, almost 12, and my mom thought she was ready to have me to come back and live with her, so I did. I moved in with her and her husband at the time, but from the very beginning, it just wasn't good. She wasn't ready. She um, still struggled with alcoholism and um, she'd be up all night drinking and then she'd sleep all day. So I was just alone the whole time really um, by myself. So I was kind of free to like do my own thing. And uh, actually the first thing that I really got addicted to or obsessed with what well, was food, but besides that was um um like not like witchcraft but like uh I got obsessed with like researching and like dabbling in like the occult stuff and like deep like dark stuff, and um it got to the point where i w- it it was just it changed me so much like i I was terrified all the time um I was hallucinating. I was hearing things, and just like I was alone all the time, so I was just so scared. Like, like I remember, I get up to walk across the room, and I just freeze in fear. And um, I ended up telling my aunt about it. This was kind of my first experience with with God, and I think that I um, kind of looked at it more later. But um, I told my aunt about it, and she told me that her friend had gone through something similar, and what I had to do was go into every room of the house and pray, and she kind of told me what to say. So I did this, and like, um, I don't know how long it took, but it did work, it went away. And um, I was only 12, so I don't know if I really made the connection as much as I do now. Um, but yeah, that was that was the, my first kind of experience with anything like that, that I remember anyway. Um, and yeah, so things weren't working out with my mom, so, um, my aunt, my mom's sister, and her husband, and their three kids, my aunt thought, we'll, we'll take Jenna in. So they took me in, and it was like a picture perfect life. Like, they had a big house. I had siblings for the first time. Like, um, my aunt and uncle were young. They were, like, they were, they kind of got me better than, like, my grandparents did. And so that was really cool. Um, but the entire time I was, there, my uncle um, who I knew my whole life um, had started being sexually inappropriate with me and I kept it a secret um, for almost, for I guess the whole year that I lived there. And then um, I started cutting myself again and I broke down and one day and I just couldn't stop crying. And I had written a, a note of all the things that he did to me and I showed it to my aunt and at first she kicked him out and then within, like, a week, she she got my grandma to come tell me that um, I was going to the hospital. I guess they changed their story because their kids were threatened to be taken away. And so they didn't. Yeah, so I got kicked out. I got put in the hospital. Um, that was, like, the first, like, really life-altering moment I think like I got sexually assaulted when I was four as well and I and I and I can see as an adult where that how that impacted me and how I I really did act out as a result of it but like this was different and um, like that it wasn't so much about what he did it was about my what my family did and so they disowned me everybody disowned me Um, I went into foster care and um, pretty much right away like I was super depressed and suicidal and addicted to cutting and food. And shortly after, like I was 13 at the time, shortly after I found drugs and alcohol. And at that point, I just, I didn't care about anything. I didn't care about myself. I didn't see myself living very much longer anyway, cause I was just in such a dark place. And um, yeah, so that just took off, like my addiction, it, it started and it just never stopped. Um, I started running away when I was 14 and just staying in like um, like awful places like the grossest places in my hometown and doing all kinds of drugs and um, and then when I was sixteen I got um, addicted to opiates and um, and I was still I was drinking the whole time I was an alcoholic all the way through but um, yeah, so it started blacking out and, um, I got kicked out of high school for possession and because I was, um, skipping school all the time and forging my own notes and I got away with it until, until I didn't really, I got caught, but, um, yeah, so it was kind of like the last draw and my, the vice principal kicked me out and, um, So yeah, um, then I was told that if I went to treatment, my school told me if I went to treatment, they let me back into school. So I went to treatment for my first time, and it was a thirty-three or wait, five-week program. Um, And yeah, and and I graduated, but I was using the whole time. I found a way around it, and this became my pattern. Like um, I, yeah, I, I, oh my and jail too, that my jail career started when I was about 15. And and those little bits that I was doing was like, I think was a godsend in a way because they might have saved my life. I was just very sick. And um, yeah, anyway, fast forward, I moved out when I was 17. I was still very addicted to drugs and alcohol. And then, um, and I was very violent. Like I had a background in martial arts and I just, yeah, I was very violent towards men. And I got um, a few assault charges, and did some time for that. And um, yeah, I I went to treatment again at 17. Again, found a way to use there and got kicked out again at 18. Found a way to use and left. Um, 20 again, I found I was sneaking off the property, and finally, I just I just left. And then I didn't go to treatment for another eight years. And then that eight years, was probably the worst that I ever got. Um, I uh yeah, I I uh I was in a really abusive relationship and the abuse was like constant um ev- like physical, emotional, um, mental, verbal, all that. And yeah, but I couldn't get out, I was trapped, I was too sick to, to do anything. I was um I was about seventy six pounds at the end of it when I went into the hospital um finally and um kinda got nursed back to life. I um, got off of methadone while I was in there. And um, yeah, and I went to Teen Challenge when I was 28. And I think that's like the first where the seed was really planted for me, like, for as as for God, like, I just felt like there was some sort of barrier keeping me from being like everybody else, like everybody else I was watching be baptized in the spirit and like speaking in tongues and collapsing. And it's like I wanted that so bad. But I think that what I really wanted was just another high, like really like they looked so happy and I just wanted that. And uh, so, so, yeah, that didn't work. I ended up leaving. Um, and then I was homeless um, from 28 on. Um, and yeah, just lots of abuse, I was, I worked the streets, I, I sold drugs, I, um, slept outside, like, I, like, all of that, I I did all of it, and it just felt normal to me, and it felt like, like, being in a house, or, like, being in treatment was more foreign to me than, like, sleeping outside, and, and, like, having random things happen, and I don't know, and, and so that, yeah, took a, took a long time for me to, like, really finally want to get better, and so...
1: Well, yeah. first of all, you're not rambling. It's heartbreaking, <laughs> but uh, you're doing a great job. Um, so now you're at this point, and you, you, your last words there, you said it took you a while before you really wanted to get better, or, mm-hmm. or you... I don't know what the right, right phrase was, or what, if you said it differently, but... Um, so what was that thing?
2: I think in a lot, it was probably fears, what it was, and like fear of the unknown and um, not believing in myself. I think it was a lot of things. Um, I was a pretty damaged person. So, you know, I, I you couldn't tell on the outside, but on the inside, there were so many scars and, on my heart. And um, I think that that really kind of flooded what could have been something great with, with God. Like I couldn't clear that path. And um, yeah, I, but I was, I was really determined. My determination did a lot for me <laughs> in my, my life. And uh, um, I think also something that might've um, made a difference was in 2020, I um, had attempted suicide and I threw myself up off the balcony head first and um, had a mini stroke about two weeks later and I was in a wheelchair in the shelter house. And, in a really abusive relationship and like the guy who was dating loved me in the wheelchair because I couldn't go and do anything, couldn't, you know, um, he could do whatever he wanted and I like didn't have to worry about me. So I think, I think that helped me because I was like, hey, if I don't get away from this guy, like he's going to hit me in the head the wrong spot or something and I'm going to be actually like paralyzed for life or something. And that was like a really big. Um, turning point for me where I, I knew I had to get out and do something. So um, the shelter house called the cops and then um, victim services sent me, put me in a hotel because it was COVID. And, um, and then they asked me if I wanted to go to treatment. And I said yes. And then like a week later, I was on a plane out here to Westminster House. And the same thing happened with Westminster House. Like I found a way to Um, you know, like I drank everything from mouthwash to sanitizer, so it wasn't really that hard for me, but, um, especially with COVID, it was everywhere. And, uh, yeah, so basically it was like three strikes and I was out. They gave me two chances. Um, the girls were not happy. I don't blame them. Like I see it now and it's like, yeah, so selfish. Um, I just wasn't ready, I guess. And Yeah, I relapsed and went back out and then not for long, though, um, I went to Hannah House. I got an opportunity to go there and like two days in, I drank um, um, again and they they were going to kick me out. They had me pack all my things and I was waiting in the office and. and I was, you know, was ready to go like, uh, like, you know, I had my whole plan in my head, like, person I'm gonna go here. And then like, I didn't know where I was. I'm not from BC. So, but I knew I'd find a way. And um, yeah, and then the director came in, and she told me that they were gonna let me stay. And that was like, huge for me, because I had to really ask myself, okay, I have two choices. Like, do I just go out again? And probably never come back or do I just like try this thing you know and I decided to stay and try and 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 I did and it was it was hard because I was a chronic relapser for so many years like and in my head at least for the first like while I was kind of waiting for that relapse to happen I didn't want it to but I was so used to failing that I was Yeah, it was just like, this is so weird, like this, like, this can't like I I can't do this, like, you know, just that that little voice in your head or in my head, the addict in my head that just was really wanting me to fail again and go back out. And um, eventually I did, but I managed to get almost 13 months of sobriety and I'd never had anything close to that before and the relapse that I did have. in 2021, it was like I was homeless again. And um, it, it was so different from what my other relapses because I had clean time before to compare it to And I was so sick, like my addiction gave me alcoholic pancreatitis, stage four cirrhosis, a heart condition um, just made me really sick. So instantly I went back to that feeling. And um, yeah, and I started calling Glory House and, Um, yeah, and and about a month, it took me about a month because I had to go to detox and everything and I was kind of, um, I'd like miss a day not calling and stuff and, but yeah, then I finally went to detox. It was hard to like, stay, like, to yeah, it was hard, it was really hard to be in detox and like, make myself stay there because it, you know, I had just relapsed. It was all like the obsession was going crazy again in my head and um but i I stayed and yeah, I ended up coming to glory house or going to glory house and um that was that was really cool that was my eighth treatment center and um it, yeah, I did. I did really well there um the one thing i really really struggled with was i was i have chronic fatigue syndrome i found out so i have i struggle with the exhaustion like pretty severe exhaustion um and when i was at the house that it was really, it was it scared me a lot of the time like even when i go to the house to this day because i go there once a week to monitor and uh, yeah I still get that anxiety when we're like driving out getting closer to the house and I think that that's what it's associated with but I mean I do it anyway I love going there and it's such a blessing like when I get there the girls are so happy to see me and like that's a cool feeling and it's like every week they're happy to see me so it's like oh (laughs) they're just being nice (laughs) Um, yeah it's awesome I love the girls there I love I love the fact that I can do this stuff now. Like even when I had the opportunity to do this, I was like thinking of the girl in the addiction and like how much I wanted to one day, like you know, do stuff like this. And 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 that always just seemed like a like an idea in my head. But yeah, definitely didn't seem like a reality. Mm-hmm. So yeah.
1: So a glory house. Mm -hmm. Is that where you, is that, I know you had heard about Jesus before that, Mm -hmm. but at Glory House, is that where you met him and accepted him as your savior?
2: Um, I, yeah, I think I did the thing where I tried to accept him so many times, but it's like, I just kept going back to self-will. I, I, uh, yeah, I think this time around was like the time I was actually able to, like, I went, it was, being homeless is kind of a blessing when you're in treatment because you don't have to worry about, like, you know, oh, is my stuff okay? Is my place, like, all that stuff, and so it's like, I didn't really have anything else holding me, like, back from giving my all in treatment, and so, yeah, I just, I think, I think that, um, like it took me a while I prayed I always prayed but um it took me a while to actually start to feel a connection like I was it took it took me longer than it takes a lot of people I noticed anyway I'm I'm sure there's lots that uh that are like me but anyway yeah it's it I I just remember like starting to actually realize that I trusted God and and that was a cool feeling like even doing this today it's like I didn't I was, I was scared what I was going to say, but I was like, I trust, I trust God to, you know, l- like, he's brought me this far. Hopefully, he won't just, like, let me sit up here by myself.
1: <laughs> Amen. Well, some of the things that I see, and I know that there are people who have really grown to love you mm-hmm. uh, from an opportunity to get to know you better. You've really jumped in with some of, like, I know our Bible study yeah. throughout the, the spring was something that you were very involved with and you shared your story there, and you grew very close to them. Um, what are some of the other differences you see now that you're following Jesus?
2: Um, I, my conch, I've always had a really good conscience, but I was also really good at ignoring it. And so, like, now I just, I, I know that, like, if I feel like I shouldn't do something, even if it's something small, like, um, if I have an opportunity to, like, go, go somewhere or do something and I don't do it, I I feel it and it's awful. So sometimes I'll make myself do things because I know I'm gonna feel it after and it's not a fun thing to go through. So there's that. And just the fact that I'm free from addiction, like that's, it's crazy. It's so crazy. I don't know, it blows my mind every day. (laughs) Uh, Thank you.
1: Uh, I don't know if we made the connection, but Glory House is a part of Hope for Freedom, and I just love that name, Hope for Freedom, <laughs> that, that that you that you have hope for future freedom, too, that this isn't something that you have to uh, wonder or worry about, that that you're free. I love that. Um, okay, I'd like for us to call up some women to pray for you. Is that okay? Yeah. And uh, so how about if you stand up here on the front, and could I get some of uh, the ladies just to come up? and uh, lay hands on Jenna. And if somebody could pray specifically for this chronic fatigue that she's experiencing and the anxiety that she's experiencing, and just pray blessings on them. So you can steal the microphone from me. Are you going to steal it, Linda? (laughs) Yeah, that's perfect there.
0: Lord, we are so blessed by Jenna's testimony and by Jenna's life. We are so blessed by her friendship in our Bible study and how you've let us get to know her. And, Lord, she is lovable, and you love her, and you will never give up on her. We are so thankful for that, Lord. We do come against this, um, this fatigue that she experiences. This is not of you, Lord. So we come against it in your name, Jesus. We pray healing, complete healing for her. We thank you, Lord, that this is what
2: you plan for her life, that she be well. We thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. You're so brave, and you just go forward, and I have so much trust in God that you're going to be good, okay? And here, this is a gift from God, okay? You're welcome. Love you you so much. Thank Thank you. I really appreciate it.
1: Let me just seal this in prayer, Father. Again, we thank you for where you you chart the path toward, Lord. Uh, we know that uh, sometimes the, the back the back story, the origin stories are hard, and I, and it's hard to hear Jenna's origin stories, Lord. But you always had a plan. Uh, you had a plan for wholeness, for shalom in her life, for completeness. And as Linda's already prayed, Lord, we pray that the next season will bring healing and wholeness from this chronic fatigue. We, we pray that you would take away the anxiety as she learns and grows deeper and deeper in trust with you, that she would put her trust in you, and that anxiety would have no place in her life. And that would set her even more free to tell her story and do the things that you've called for her to do. We pray blessings over her, her time at Hope for Freedom and Glory House, anoint that time and help her to be a blessing to those ladies there. And Lord, we just celebrate and thank you for the time that we get with Jenna. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, Jenna. You can give her a hand. That's very brave and very cool. I'll just wipe away the tears. And Oh my goodness. Um, Those are hard stories, but beautiful stories. Uh, and I think it's true. I think Disney kind of figured this out, is that the best stories have a really hard part to it. And uh, then when you get to see the hero do his thing, and in this case, the hero is Jesus. When he does his thing, it's a, it turns into a beautiful story. All right. Well, goodness for you is I don't have a, a lot to share for the second part. Um, if I was a, a thinking ahead pastor, I probably wouldn't have taught on a adulterous and murdering king last week when all the kids were here. Uh, instead, I would have done what we're going to do today, and we're going to show a, a short video on the life of Jonah. And that would have made a lot more sense if I would have flipped that, but I, I don't think that far ahead. So today you get what I should have done last week in Family Sunday, and that's a video on the life of Jonah. And I'll tell you the reason I'm showing a video. Uh, it's not like when I was a teacher and I was lazy and felt like putting my feet up on the desk. Uh, that, that was another opportunity to show a video. This is a case where I was looking at the life of Jonah, and Jonah, for those of you who don't know, you, you can learn about his life in the book of Jonah, and it's a short book, only four chapters, but the problem, well, it's not the problem, the problem for me is that it takes all four of those chapters to tell his story. And normally, when we preach, we we like to go right through the Bible and and put all the scripture up on the screen. But it's a lot to go through one chapter. So to go through four chapters is a lot. So I was agonizing this week. How on earth am I going to synthesize this story into something uh, shorter? And so I found this video. It's a nine-minute video. And it teaches through the life of Jonah better than I could in an hour and a half. It is is so jam-packed full. In fact, uh, when we replay this on YouTube and um, on Spotify, we'll, we'll put the link to this video uh, in there so you can revisit it if you like because it, it really is full of information. But what I'd like to do is I'd like to kind of uh, do a bit of a prologue. So we've got a prologue to the story here, and then I'm going to finish with uh, what I'll call an epilogue. Um, the story of Jonah begins with a command to Jonah, who is this unusual prophet of God. And we're going to learn a little bit about that in the, in the story. But the, the command was to go to this place called Nineveh. And you don't hear a lot about Nineveh historically. But it was the capital of this Assyrian empire, which was at its height. It was a major, major city. Its empire was large, and it was a prominent city in its day. Uh, it wasn't a city in Israel or a part of the Israel um, community. It was an Assyrian city. Now, God called Jonah, the, this child of Israel, to go into this Assyrian capital city, this pagan city, and call them to repentance, to tell them that they needed to turn from their sin. Now, it just by way of context again, ancient uh, historians say that Nineveh was the foremost city in the world at this time. So it was, this was the big place. It was the large, important capital of a dominating empire, uh, surely an intimidating place to go. It was also because Jonah, so Jonah chose, as many of you know the story, he chose not to go. In fact, he chose to go the opposite, opposite direction. And um, somebody once kind of wrote this, It says, uh, he, he didn't want the Assyrians to repent. He didn't want them to be forgiven and saved. It was similar, just imagine for a second, you get this Jewish man in New York City, during World War II. And he hears God say to him, very specifically, he says, I am going to bring terrible judgment on Germany. And so I want you to go to Berlin and tell Nazi Germany to repent. I want you to go so that they can be saved. And he's sending this this Jewish man into Nazi Germany to tell them how they can be safe from the wrath of God. So instead of doing it, the man kind of goes to San Francisco and heads off to Hong Kong. Like, he goes as far away from Germany as he possibly can. So Nineveh was to the east of Israel, and Tarshish, the place that Jonah eventually fled to, or tried to fly to, was about as far as you could go west. And again, just by way of context, actually west for you would be this way. Uh, he, w- he would have tried to sail out the Mediterranean towards Gibraltar, which is kind of the tip of Spain. So that's kind of the background to this, but um, the video is going to go into way more detail about Jonah himself, and uh, let's just watch it.
0: The Book of Jonah, a subversive story about a rebellious prophet who hates God for loving his enemies. Jonah's unique among the prophets of the Old Testament because they're typically collections of God's words spoken through the prophet. But this book doesn't actually focus on the words of the prophet, rather it's a story about a prophet, a really mean and nasty prophet. Jonah appears only one other time in the Old Testament. It's during the reign of Jeroboam II, one of Israel's worst kings. And Jonah prophesied in his favor, promising that he would win a battle and regain all this territory on Israel's northern border. Now, it's important to know that the prophet Amos also confronted Jeroboam. And through him, God specifically reversed Jonah's prophecy, promising that Jeroboam would lose all of those same territories because he was so horrible. So before the story of Jonah even begins, we are suspicious of Jonah's character. The book of Jonah has a beautiful design with all this literary pairing and symmetry. So you have chapters 1 and 3 telling the story of Jonah's encounter with non-Israelites, first with some sailors and then with Jonah's hated enemies, the Ninevites. And each part offers a comic contrast between Jonah's selfishness and the pagans' humility and repentance. Chapters 2 and 4 contain prayers of Jonah. One is a prayer of repentance, kind of, and the other is a prayer in which Jonah chews out God for being too nice. Now, this careful design of the book is matched by a really unique style of narration. The story is full of all of these stereotyped characters who, ironically, do the exact opposite of what you think they would do. So you have the prophet, the man of God, who rebels and Hates his own God. You have the sailors who are supposed to be really immoral, but actually they have soft, repentant hearts and turn to God in humility. You have the king of the most powerful, murderous empire on the planet, and he humbles himself before God because of Jonah's five word sermon, and even the king's cows repent. This kind of story fits what today we would call satire. These are stories about well-known figures who are placed in extreme circumstances and they use humor and irony to critique their stupidity and character flaws. Let's just dive in and we'll see how all the pieces work together. The story opens as God addresses Jonah and commissions him to go preach against the evil and injustice in Nineveh, the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, Israel's bitter enemy. But instead of going east to Nineveh, Jonah goes in the opposite direction, finding a ship going as far west as you can go to Tarshish. Now the big question here is why? Why does Jonah run? Is he afraid? Does he just not like Ninevites? And we're not told yet. So the man of God tries to run from God, and he boards a ship full of pagan sailors. He goes down into the ship, and then he falls asleep. So God sends a huge storm to wake up his prophet. Well, ironically, the sailors above board are wide awake to everything that's happening. They can discern that there's a divine power at work here. So they throw the dice and they discover that Jonah, he is the culprit. So they ask Jonah to explain himself. And Jonah spouts off a whole bunch of religious mumbo jumbo. He says, yeah, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God who made the sea and the dry land. What a joke. Right? God made the sea and the dry land all right, and Jonah's dumb enough to run from this God by getting on a boat. And when the sailors ask Jonah what they should do, he says, kill me Right, by throwing me overboard. Which kind of seems noble at first, until you realize this could actually be his most selfish move yet. I mean, what better way to avoid going to Nineveh? So he puts his blood on these innocent sailors' hands by trying to force them to kill him. They're reluctant, of course, and they repent to God even as they toss him over. The storm subsides, and they end up fearing the God of Israel, and unlike Jonah, they actually worship God. But God foils Jonah's plans to escape Nineveh. As Jonah's sinking, God provides this strange watery tomb for him, the stomach of a large fish. Now, of course, under normal circumstances, this would be certain death. But in this story, everything's upside down. And so Jonah's submarine death becomes his passage back to life. Cramped in the stomach of this beast, Jonah utters a prayer. Where he never technically says that he's sorry, but he does thank God for not abandoning him. And he promises that he will obey God from this point on, no matter what. And God's response is quite comic. The whale vomits Jonah back onto dry land. So once again, God commissions Jonah to go and preach in Nineveh and Jonah complies. We're told that Nineveh was a gigantic city, it would take days to walk through. So Jonah gets one day in and here is his message, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. It's five words in Hebrew. Now his sermon is very short and it's also odd, I mean look at what's missing. There's no mention of what the Ninevites have done wrong or of what they should do to respond. There's no mention of who might overturn them. And most noticeable, there's no mention of God. What's going on here? Has Jonah intentionally given the bare minimum of information? It's like he's trying to sabotage his own message or ensure the Ninevites destruction. There's just no effort on Jonah's part here. Whatever his motives are, the plan doesn't work. Because no sooner does he utter this five-word sermon that the king of Nineveh, the entire city, including all its cows, repent in sorrow and ashes. So for the second time, these evil pagans show themselves to be more responsive than God's own prophet. So God forgives the Ninevites, and he doesn't bring destruction on the city. Now, here's the brilliant part of the story. The last word of Jonah's short sermon, overturned, means just that, turned over, and it can refer to a city being overthrown or destroyed, like Sodom and Gomorrah, but it can also be used of something being transformed, like turned over and changed into its opposite. And so, comically, Jonah's words actually came true, but not in the way that he intended. Nineveh does get turned over as Jonah's enemies repent and find God's mercy. The final chapter brings all the pieces together. Jonah, he's fuming mad, and he utters his second prayer. He first tells God why he ran away back in chapter 1. It was not because he was afraid. Rather, it was because he knew that God was so merciful. And this is great. Jonah actually quotes God's own description of himself from the book of Exodus, and he throws it back in God's face as an insult. He says he knew that God is compassionate and that you would find some way to forgive these horrible Ninevites. You can just hear the disgust in Jonah's voice. Jonah then cuts off the conversation and he prays that God would kill him on the spot. He'd rather die than live with the God who forgives his enemies. Fortunate for Jonah, God doesn't comply and simply asks if Jonah's anger is even justified. Jonah ignores the question and he goes outside the city to camp on a nearby hill waiting to see what might Happen, You know, the Ninevites might repent of their repentance and get roasted after all. What happens next is very odd. God provides this viney plant to shade Jonah from the sun and that makes him quite happy. But then God sends a tiny worm to eat up the plant and so Jonah loses his shade. And there, in the heat of the sun, Jonah asks again that God kill him. So God, again, asks Jonah if his anger is justified. And Jonah barks back, absolutely just let me die. And those are Jonah's last words in the story. God's final words are what concludes the book. He says that this whole vine incident was an attempt to get through to Jonah, right? Jonah got all concerned and emotional over this vine, which he only enjoyed for a day. And God asked Jonah, you know, aren't humans a bit more valuable than vines? I mean, isn't it okay if God might feel the same kind of emotion and concern for the city of Nineveh? that's full of thousands of people who have lost their way and also their cows. And that's how the book ends, with God asking Jonah for permission to show mercy to his enemies. And what is Jonah's answer? The story doesn't say. Because that's not the point. The point is that the book is trying to mess with you. And God's questions here are actually addressed to you, the reader. Are you okay with the fact that God loves your enemies? And so this book holds a mirror up to the one who reads it. In Jonah, we see the worst parts of our own character magnified, which should generate humility and gratitude that God would love his enemies and put up with the Jonah in all of us. And so this strange story actually becomes a message of good news about the wideness of God's mercy that ought to challenge us to the core. And that's the book of Jonah.
1: And that is why I chose for somebody else to tell the story instead of me. Wasn't that great? You guys were given all the right sounds throughout the giggling at the right parts and and groaning along. There you go. Um, so as far as the epilogue to this story, or as I'm going to call it, uh, I'm going to kind of go a little bit backwards into what we just learned. Uh, it displeased Jonah. And and this is really weird, because you'd think uh, when a preacher sees the things happen that they, they prophesied, usually the preacher is pleased when the congregation repents, and in this case, Jonah wasn't. And he says, you know what, I knew it all along that you're this merciful, gracious, compassionate God who relents from doing harm. And Jonah was angry because God, God granted repentance to the Ninevites, and the Assyrians were his enemies. And again, this kind of reminds me of of last week. Uh, I don't know if your mind went there. But when we learned the story of King David, and many of you know the story already. But when we see that this rich king uh, slept with somebody else's wife and then had her husband killed off uh, for convenience sake. And then he repented and was forgiven like that. Doesn't it almost kind of unsettle you a little bit? where it's like, oh, come on. God, this needs to drag on a little bit more. There needs to be a bit more of a, a consequence. There needs to be a little bit more of a, a process here. He needs to really feel the, the ramifications of his sin. And there's times where we watch in others forgiveness brought about, and it's uncomfortable, where it almost doesn't seem fair that they've been given that forgiveness. And this is the case for Jonah. Um, But God had a different perspective. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up here as I read the last little bit of Jonah. This is Jonah chapter 4, verses 5 to 11. And I just want to, actually, I'm going to start in verse 9. And you can see one part is highlighted. But God said to Jonah, this is after Jonah was complaining about the vines being eaten. Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Jonah was dramatic. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? The whole cow part of this story, I don't get. So don't come up and ask me questions after about how cows repented. I don't get it. Um. Often, I don't know if you're like me, but often I will assign a sinister backstory to people's behavior. If, if you get a, a, a neighbor who is grumpy and who yells at your kids or whatever, you just kind of naturally assume they hate humans, and they hate my kids, and they're just awful, evil people. Or you assume that the driver behind me, he obviously wants to kill me because he's gotten up that close behind me. So you've, you've assigned a sinister backstory. Or that parent who you see yelling at their child in the park, I used to judge them until I had kids of my own. That parent who yells at their kids in the park must be a complete abusive psycho. But God knows the why. He knows the whole story behind poor choices and poor behavior. And sometimes it's like the Ninevites. They don't know their right from their left. They haven't been shown the way, they don't know what is right. The, the Holy Spirit hasn't been activated in their lives where, yeah, they have, we're kind of all born with a conscience. But we can learn to dull that conscience by a a thousand different means. But when, when Jesus becomes a part of our lives and the Holy Spirit starts to become active in our lives, now the lights get turned on and we start to see we can differentiate our right hand from our left. We know right from wrong. And we're held to a higher account. But there are people who we can't see, and I'm looking at myself in the mirror here, where sometimes I can't see the why behind their behavior, which I see as evil behavior. There are people on this planet that I interact with who are doing harmful things, and I can default to become the Jonah and just want to see them smitten, or I can pray to the God who reveals the why and understand, have empathy for them. Have God's mercy and compassion. And pray for the lights to get turned on so that they can know their right from their left. And that they can know right from wrong. And that, that behavior, if, if that's even the point, that that can be corrected by a loving God. We live in a fallen, sinful world. Uh, Sometimes people's sin is motivated by evil, but sometimes it's because we just don't know our right from our left. We need God. We need the ministry of the Holy Spirit to turn the lights on and see right from wrong. Uh, Jonah was not tasked with identifying a list of sinful behaviors and pointing fingers. He wasn't supposed to go there and say, you're doing all these things wrong. He was tasked with turning on the lights and showing them that they need to change. Repent means changing directions. To, to stop walking the way they are walking, to change direction and start walking towards God. That's what he was supposed to do. And this should inform us how we interact with sinners. Instead of just yelling the list of things they're doing wrong, we should point to the one and the way that they should go. We should call them to repentance and point to this God for salvation. All right, with that in mind, let's stand and let's respond and worship, and then I got a blessing for you. Awesome. All right, here's the blessing that I have for you today. May we learn the difference between right and wrong by turning to God. Let me pause there. This isn't just a matter of figuring it out in our heads, we need God as our our wayfinder. Uh, We have no righteousness of our own. We can't be right. We can't be in the right without God, without the influence of His Holy Spirit. May we learn the difference between right and wrong by turning to God. And may we be patient with those who haven't yet learned the same lesson, pointing them to the teacher, capital T, teacher. That's my charge. That is the blessing that I have for you this week. So go. Uh, You know what? Revisit this book of the Bible. Revisit the life of Jonah and use it as a mirror. I love the way that video ended where this is a mirror for us to consider how we're like Jonah. All right. And don't get stuck in the crummy feeling of, oh, I am like Jonah. Move on from that. Cling to the Father and move forward. Let Him work with you and through you. Be blessed and we'll see you next week.
0: Thank you for joining us for our main service. If you want to learn more about Northridge Church, or if you just want to talk to someone about what you've heard on this podcast, please email us at infonrchurch.ca. At We'd love to get to know you better. Until then, be safe and be blessed.